0: Thank you, Nate. Good morning, everybody. Let's open up our Bibles to the Gospel of John chapter 21. John chapter 21. Uh, It's with a little bit of sadness that I come to you here this morning. Uh, I'm wearing black because it's a little bit of morning. This is our last Sunday morning in the Gospel of John. And I don't know about you, I have enjoyed it so much that I'm a little bit sad to see the book, you know, going. And it's not like you can't read it anytime you want to. It's always there in your Bible. But I think it's been a special time for us here on Sunday mornings going through it. And I don't quite know yet what we're going to start with after the first of the year. We'll have a couple Sundays with Christmas messages, of course. And then uh, on the first Sunday of January, we have Mission Sunday. And we'll figure out sometime in the middle of January what's the next book of the Bible that we'll spend time in. But this morning, we have the great privilege of bringing our hearts before this last part of John chapter 21. Let's pray as we get into God's word together now. Father in heaven, we're so grateful. We think, Lord, about the the real turmoil, the fear, the calamity that grips our world. Lord, some of it is rational, some of it is irrational. But we live in times, Lord, where we feel that there is um, uncertainty all around us We come to you, Lord, so that you can be our rock in the midst of the storm, so that you can be the anchor that holds fast, so that you can be, Lord, um, all that we need in difficult times. Well, Lord, we know that one way that you do that is by speaking to us and by working on our lives, on our heart, as we give attention to your word. So do it now in our midst, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. John chapter 21, we're going to begin at verse 15 and continue through to the end of the chapter. But just to remind ourselves where we begin with the gospel of John chapter 21 was Jesus met with his disciples in the region of Galilee. And as he was there with his disciples in Galilee, by the way, they were up there because Jesus told them, you go up to Galilee and I'll meet you there. Peter and the other disciples were fishing and as Pastor Keith talked about last week in the message from John chapter 21, they're gathered at the Sea of Galilee, there was a miraculous catch of fish, they brought it in, Jesus served them breakfast and in this scene that's so touching, it's so warm, it's so personal, we saw Jesus, the resurrected Messiah, the Son of God himself crouching down over a charcoal grill, grilling fish, preparing a little bit of bread and fish for his disciples, serving them with the same servant heart that he had before his resurrection. It was still in him after his resurrection. And there he is in this wonderful, warm setting serving breakfast to his disciples. That's where we come to verse 15. Ready? So when they had eaten breakfast... Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs sheep there's something very powerful about this interaction between Jesus and Peter at the Sea of Galilee in the presence of the other disciples we usually talk about this as being the restoration of Peter and that's true in one sense this is the public restoration of Peter however I have to tell you I think that Peter had already been privately restored in his relationship with Jesus let's face it Peter sinned grievously against his Messiah and Lord. Peter turned his back on him. After boasting at how great he would be in being faithful to Messiah, who was it that ran when the moment became dangerous? It was Peter. I believe there was first a personal and private reconciliation and restoration between Jesus and Peter, on the very same day that Jesus was revealed to be risen from the dead. We know from a couple different passages that on resurrection Sunday, Jesus and Peter met. For example, Luke chapter 24, verse 34 says, the Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse five, it says that he was seen by Cephas and then by the 12. In other words, there was a personal and private connection between Jesus and Peter on the day he rose from the dead. We're not told many details about it. But because Peter had a public role, a leadership role, among the disciples and in the coming early church, there had to be a public restoration of Peter. And that's what we have right here. Jesus in the presence of the other disciples sitting down with them over this charcoal fire and what does he do? He simply asks him and he says, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? Now there's been some debate as to what the these are. What is it? These fish, these boats, these nets. Now I think it's pretty clear. What's the these? The these are the other disciples. Please remember Peter claimed to have a superior love for Jesus than the other disciples. Peter's line went something like this before Jesus went to the cross. He said, Jesus, all those other disciples, losers. They're going to let you down. Me, I'm going to be the one who stands for you in the critical moment. There was a time when Peter very plainly claimed to have a superior love for Jesus than all those other disciples. Now, after he's been humbled, now, after he denied Jesus three times in the critical moment, now, Jesus looks at Peter and goes, well, Peter, how about it now? Do you love me more than these other guys? What do you think about yourself now, Peter? Let's talk about it. He asked him this question, and imagine how embarrassed Peter must have been to hear that question in the presence of the other disciples. His face flushes with embarrassment. Does your face flush red when you get embarrassed? Mine does. Finds a little dry in his mouth to respond, but what does he say? Go back to the text. What does he say? He says, do you love me more than these? And in verse 15, Peter responds. He goes, Lord, you know that I love you. Now friends, there's something a little detailed here in the original languages that I have to bring out. I usually don't like talking about the original languages that the Bible's written in because I'm no Greek scholar. But you're aware that the Bible wasn't written in English originally. Not even King James English. It was written in a language called Attic Greek. It's an ancient version of the Greek language. And Attic Greek... Excuse me, I'm sorry, I said Attic Greek. That's wrong, it's Koine Greek. Attic Greek is classical Greek. In Koine Greek, the Greek language of that day, there were different words that they could use to describe love. And so this is something of what Jesus is speaking in this interaction with Peter. He's using one word for love called agape or agapeo. Peter responds with another word for love, which means phileo or philea. Now in these different interactions, it's going back and forth. This is what you need to understand. First of all, there are several good Bible scholars and commentators who will tell you that there's no distinction to be made between these words in this context. So what I'm going to share with you now is not universally agreed to. But I got to tell you, as I look at the text... It seems that the way that the words are used so plainly, there is intended to be a contrast. And if you would make a contrast between those two ancient words, agapeo and phileo, you would say something like this. They're both good kinds of love. They're both admirable kinds of love. But you could say this, and again, this isn't universally agreed to, but you could say this, that agapeo presents a higher kind of love. Maybe even an ultimate kind of love. Phileo, it's a good love, but it's more like a brotherly kind of love. Friends, it may very well be that the interaction between Jesus and Peter went something like this Peter, do you love me with the highest love? And Peter responds back, Lord, you know I love you like a brother. Now, isn't that interesting? Isn't that beautiful and revealing on Peter's part? Peter is humbled. He's not saying, Lord, I'll take that love and I'll match it and I'll raise it. No, now he's of a much more humble heart. Friends, none of us wishes to fail our Lord. None of us wishes to sin against him and fall in any way. But it must be admitted that God can use a failure or a falling in his saints. And one of the most beautiful things that he can use in a failing or a falling of one of his saints is to build some humility within that saint. Don't we see a more humble Peter right now? Don't we see a Peter that now is not bragging about his grandiose love and how much greater it is than anybody else's love? Now he's like, listen, Lord, do I love you in that highest way? I don't know. Maybe I do, but I do this. I love you like a brother, Lord. Now what's fascinating about it is that Jesus asked him the question again, and the answer is very much the same. If you look at it again, he says one more time here. He says unto Peter, Peter... Do you love me in verse 16? And Peter answers again, you know that I love you. Peter, do you love me with the highest kind of love? And Peter answers, Lord, you know. I love you like a brother. Why are you asking me this again in front of everybody? There's something very deep. There's something very emotional going on in this interaction between Jesus and Peter in the presence of the other disciples. Now there's something else I have to point out about this before we get to verse 17 where Jesus completes his questioning of Peter in this. Before I have to point out is how Jesus responded to it. The conversation went like this. Peter, do you love me with the highest kind of love? Lord, you know I love you like a brother. And then Jesus says to him, feed my lambs. Peter, do you love me with the highest kind of love? Lord, you know I love you like a brother. Peter, tend my sheep. And then in verse 17, he's going to ask him it once again, and he's going to say it once again, feed my sheep. Now there are some things very powerful in the midst of this. The one thing is, is notice, Peter was not out of a job. Jesus did not say to Peter, hey you, failure, stay away from my people, you'll just mess them up. No, he said, Peter, there's work for you to do. I want you to feed my sheep. I want you to tend my lambs. He says it twice, feed my lambs, feed my sheep. He says it once, tend my sheep. Friends, there's another dynamic here though. It speaks very much of what the work of a pastor or a leader among God's people should be. Notice, twice Jesus said, feed my lambs or feed my sheep. Once he said, tend my lambs. Now, this is very important because first of all, it speaks to us about the great place that there is for spiritual feeding from a leader or a pastor unto God's people. This is just obvious. And we're talking about spiritual feeding. Jesus didn't mean to people, go serve all the Christians breakfast. Go make them pancake breakfast. It's not that what he's saying about. No, he means give them the spiritual food that they need from God's word. And friends, you know this is a very important thing to us here at Calvary Chapel. And this is just what we endeavor to do week in, week out, is bring you spiritual food. We just believe that what God has given to us in this book is actually food for the soul. And you may not feel like you're hungry, but you need this. And you need good nutrition from God's word. You don't need junk food. You need solid food from God's word. And God helping us We do that on Sundays, on Wednesdays, whenever it is that we gather together and have a focus upon his word. It's not the only thing in the Christian life. It's not the only thing in our morning services, but it's an important aspect. But I want you to notice this. It's not the only aspect. Jesus did say twice, feed my lambs, feed my sheep. But he also said, tend my sheep. There is an aspect of pastoral care that goes beyond simply delivering God's word. It has to do with coming alongside God's people, leading them, protecting them, ministering unto them, being a shepherd unto them. The second aspect is something that I feel often that I fall short in. And I pray, and I pray that you would pray that God would help me. I do not want to be only a feeder of God's people, though I believe that is my first call and a very important call. I also want to be somebody as a faithful shepherd who tends God's sheep. But here's the difficulty. With a vast flock, how could it ever be done? Well, it can be done with the empowering of the Holy Spirit, with a lot of help around me, and with a heart towards God that just tries to be guided by his spirit. But friends, would you please pray for me on this? and you please be gracious unto me? Because I know, I know, and I feel very challenged upon this very point. It's not just a matter of feeding God's sheep. It's also tending to them. Now let's take a look at what he says in verse 17. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. I want you to notice this. What grieved Peter was not only the interchange between the two different ancient Greek words, because we went through this again, but let me just remind you, the first two interactions were like this. Jesus says, Peter, do you love me with the highest love? Yes, Lord, I love you like a brother. Peter, do you love me with the highest love? Yes, Lord, I love you like a brother. And then the third time, Jesus says, Peter, do you really love me like a brother? That stabs. The disciple, right there in the heart. And all he can say is this Lord, you know. You know all things. Jesus, sometimes I don't even know myself, but you know. Now, I'm sure that the interplay of those ancient Greek words was something that struck Peter very deeply. I'm sure that the thing about the highest love and the brotherly love, it was something that affected him. But friends, it wasn't only that. If you notice the text, verse 17 tells us that Peter was especially grieved because Jesus said it for the third time. What does that mean? Jesus was very deliberately doing this, and Peter received it as so, He was matching a threefold denial with a threefold profession of love and restoration. Why did he do it? Did he do it three times because he thought Peter was hard of hearing? Did he do it three times because he was like a bureaucrat and liked to fill things out in triplicate? No friends, he did it three times in the presence of those other disciples so that everybody would know. It was loud and clear. It was like a signal horn. Hey everybody, he denied me three times but he's proclaimed his love for me three times. This man is qualified to feed my sheep and to tend my lambs. What a beautiful, powerful public restoration of Peter it's as if Jesus put his arm around him and said listen Peter you're my guy and why because as much as anything he proclaimed his love for Jesus do you understand that this more than anything is what Jesus wants from us he wants our love I don't know what impression you get when you come here. I wonder, maybe we're giving you the wrong impression. Maybe you think that what God really wants from you is your worship. What he really wants from you is your obedience. What God really wants from you is your money. I don't know what you're thinking. But let me tell you, fundamentally, what God first and foremost wants from you is your love. You know why? Why? Because if you love him the way that you should, everything else will follow. If you really love God the way you should, won't you worship him the way that you should? Won't you obey him the way that you should? Won't you be generous unto him the way that you should? If you love him, love is such an amazing, crazy motivator. Do you know how many people do stupid and crazy things in the name of romantic love? Just think, just think. Of what we can do when we're properly motivated by the love of God. Now I have to say, in one sense, and I'll just be very honest with you, as a man, this sounds a little bit strange to me. It's like, what, love Jesus like this? What is it, Jesus my boyfriend kind of thing? That's a little weird, I don't get it exactly. Listen, the way I like to explain it, especially if I'm talking to men... As I explain, it like this, it's not just that. Don't think of it. Oh, Jesus has to be your boyfriend. This wasn't about Peter and Jesus looking lovingly into each other's eyes. Now you know what this is about. It's about a kind of love that everybody can relate to, men and women. It's love expressed in heroic self-sacrifice. It's love expressed by saying, "I'm going to lay down my life. I'm going to give my life." Isn't that what a mother does for her children? She lays down her life in a thousand different ways for their sake. Isn't that what a man does for his family? He'll lay down his life for their sake. Isn't that what a soldier does on the battlefield? Isn't that what the first responder does at the scene of crisis? Ladies and that's the kind of love, first and foremost, that he's asking for. Will you love me with the spirit of self-sacrifice? Will you come and say, Jesus, I surrender my life to you. I love you. I will lay myself down for your sake. That's the kind of love that Jesus first and foremost looked for from Peter. But when that love is there, it's more than that there is. There is an emotional element to that love. And that's primary as well. Think about it. What if you had this scene one of your children, and let's say it's back when your children were young, or if they still are young, it's today. Your young children come to you, and they say, Daddy, Daddy, here's my promise right here. I will obey you perfectly for the rest of my life. And the first thing you do is you have a heart attack. You think you might have gone to heaven or something. <laughs> daddy, I will obey you perfectly for the rest of my life, but I'll never love you. What parent would take that deal? Nobody would. Nobody would. They say, no, child. What matters to me even more than your obedience, it's not like your obedience is irrelevant. Your obedience is very relevant. But what I need first from you is love. And that's what Jesus looks for from Peter and from his people. Verse 18. Now, You know me, I like to let the Bible be like a movie in my mind. I let it play out here. In my mind, I can't say it's in the text, in my mind, that conversation happens over the breakfast at the charcoal fire. But in my mind, Peter and Jesus then stand up and they start walking down the shore of the Sea of Galilee. Matter of fact, you can go today, if you go on a tour of Israel, they'll take you to this place. We don't know 100% for sure if that's the exact place where there was the restoration of Peter, but you know, they say it was, and when you go there, you feel like, man, this could be the place. Walking side by side there on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, maybe with John the apostle following a little bit behind, he could perhaps overhear these words. Verse 18, Jesus speaking to Peter Most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. This he spoke signifying by what death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. Friends, this is so heavy. It's so touching. Jesus says, Peter, let's talk about this. I've restored you privately on Resurrection Sunday. Now I've restored you publicly in the presence of these other disciples. But you and I gotta talk about something else. We gotta talk about your younger years. You know, Peter, when you were younger, you had a lot of freedom and you were impulsive and you did whatever you wanted to do. Do people remember years like that? Okay, that was your youth. But Peter, there's a different thing in your future. In your future, somebody's going to come and tie you up where you don't want to go. Somebody's going to lead you to a place you'd rather not be. And you're going to stretch out your hands. And then John says that Jesus said this signifying by what death Peter would glorify God. Peter did some 30 years after this, according to tradition. He stretched out his hands in crucifixion in the city of Rome. They nailed him to a cross, and he died in utter faithfulness to Jesus his Messiah. Tradition, I don't know how reliable it is. Tradition says that Peter insisted that he be crucified upside down because he says, I'm not worried to be crucified the way that my Messiah was. So do me upside down. So we don't know if that part of it's true or not, but he was crucified supposedly in Rome. His hands were stretched out. People led him where he didn't want to go. He was girded to that cross. And friends, he died in faithfulness to Jesus. Now on the one hand, can you imagine how hopeful this was for Peter? You know what I would hear if I was Peter there? I'm not going to fail him again there's going to come a future time, a critical moment where I have the opportunity to deny him again. And I'm not going to deny him. I'm going to say, are you sending Christ followers to the cross? Put me in the front of the line. Here I am. I'm not going to deny him again. Jesus helping me. I'll be faithful to him to the end. And friends, isn't that all that we want to know in one sense? I don't know about you, but when I think about the future, if I could be assured of any one thing in the future, it wouldn't be about my health. It wouldn't be about my future financial prospects. If I could know anything about the future, I would want to know, Lord, am I going to be faithful to you to the end? If I could know that, yes, Lord, then I'm at peace. Everything else will fall into place. Peter, you're going to die in utter faithfulness to me and you will not deny me again. And I just imagine a flood of peace going through Peter's soul. That's the good news. The bad news, you're gonna be crucified for following me. Which is a trauma and a horror that we can barely imagine. But notice what he said. He said, he signified by this, by what death he would glorify God. Peter You're gonna glorify me when you go to the cross. You're gonna glorify me even in your death. And I can imagine Peter just saying, then Lord, then what more could there be? Thank you, God. Thank you for restoring me, Jesus. And then Jesus says, okay, one more thing on top of that. Follow me. Some three years before this, Jesus spoke to Peter on the same shore of the Sea of Galilee. I wonder if it was the same stretch of beach. It could have been. A Galilean carpenter named Jesus of Nazareth spoke to a Galilean fisherman named Peter or Simon Barjona, and he said, you, Simon, Peter, you follow me. And Peter said, I'm in. Now it's as if he gives him that invitation all over again. Are you still in? Now that you know how the story ends, are you still in? Are you still going to follow me? Are you still going to dedicate your life to me? And ladies and gentlemen, I tell you right now, there are essential marking points, I think, in everybody's walk with Jesus Christ, where it's good for us to reevaluate and say, okay, man, I've lived this for some years now. I know what's behind me. I got a sense of what's in front of me. Am I still all in and following Jesus? His call comes out to me again. Follow me. Am I going to follow him? Am I going to say, okay, Jesus, I am in. I'm going to follow you. I receive your command. Now, we do that. I think Peter did that. Then, Peter's Peterishness comes in in verse 20. Notice this, verse 20. Then Peter, turning around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following, who had leaned on his breast at supper and said, Lord, who is the one who betrays you? Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, but Lord... What about this man? Classic Peter, classic me, classic you. I'm not letting you off the hook. Isn't this what we love to do? Jesus is challenging you. He's speaking to your heart. He's laying it on you. And what do you start thinking? Yeah, but Lord, what about my wife? I hope she's hearing this right now. Oh Lord, what about them? Oh Lord, what about them? Don't you see what Jesus say? Listen, Forget about, what about you? I'll speak to them, I'll deal with them. But isn't it masterful, our ability to raise up a shield and to deflect God's word to our heart by saying, yeah, but Lord, what about them or this or whatever? So notice how Jesus responds to Peter. It's really wonderful. Verse 22, Jesus said to him, if I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? You Follow me. I love how Jesus throws it down to Peter. Hey, you know what? That guy John, if I want him to stay alive until I return in glory, what's it to you? This is between you and me, Peter. You, and by the way, the phrasing in the original is very emphatic. You follow me. Forget about him. This is between you and me. Friends, there needs to be a place of direct dealing with the individual soul before God. Now, I'm not telling you to ignore your brothers and sisters, the people around you, this congregation, this family that we have together. Listen, we're family, we, we love each other. God's called us together. But there is a place and there is a mentality where I have to say, Lord, I have to put blinders on with whatever you may be doing or may not be doing with my brothers and sisters around me. This is between you and me, Jesus. And that's what he's trying to communicate to Peter. That's why he says very strongly, verse 22, you follow me. You must do this. What's interesting is those are the last recorded words of Jesus in the gospel of John. The last recorded words of Jesus in this wonderful gospel that we've been through for a little more than a year. The last recorded words are what? You follow me. You. I wish I could look each one of you right in the eye right now. You. You follow Jesus. You follow Jesus. He's talking to you and to you and to each one of us. You follow Jesus. Whatever else gets in the way, set it aside. You follow him. This is the call of Jesus Christ upon every individual life. If you like to mark up your Bible or if you can highlight it on whatever iPad or whatever you use right there, highlight it, mark it, you follow me. The last recorded words of Jesus in the Gospel of John. Now notice this, verse 23. Then this saying went out among the brethren that the disciple would not die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he would not die, but if I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? John needs to correct a misunderstanding that went out there. There were people said, oh, Jesus said John would never die. Now, it didn't help that John was never martyred, and it didn't help that John lived to a really old age, but the rumor started going around. He's never gonna die. And John said, no, 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 that's not what Jesus said. That's not what he meant. He said, what's it to you if you stay alive? And so what I find very comforting about this is even in the very first century with the apostles and Jesus right there, people were misunderstanding what Jesus said. Shouldn't that give us a little bit of patience with ourselves and with each other? No, people misunderstood it back then. And so God helping us will come to a correct understanding of these things along the way. Let's conclude with these last two verses we read This is the disciple who testifies of these things and wrote these things and we know that his testimony is true and there are also many other things that Jesus did which if they were written one by one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Amen. 1 John says, look, I'm that guy. My feet were wet on the shores of the Sea of Galilee when I heard Jesus say those things. I can tell you it's true. This is my solemn testimony. I was the eyewitness of things. That's the one thing. The second thing he says, though, is this is not the end of Jesus' work. Now, haven't we seen Jesus do some pretty amazing things throughout the Gospel of John? I mean, I could go back and give you a survey of the whole gospel, but that would take another hour or two. You just have it in your mind. Jesus has done amazing things throughout the whole gospel of John, but do you see what John is saying here? He's saying, this isn't even the beginning. And using a bit of literary hyperbole, he says, if we decided to write it all down, you couldn't even fit all the books into the whole wide world. Now friends, that is amazing to think about. It's amazing to think about it, in particular in this sense, Means that the work of God does not end. It did not end in John 21. It doesn't end today. If there were to be a book written of everything that Jesus said and did, would there be some lines about it in your life? Would your name be in there? You'd say, well, listen, I am part of that work of something that Jesus did. Here's my line. You're gonna write out everything that Jesus ever did? Put my name in there because he did something wonderful in my life. I think that's God's greatest joy is for us to think about this. We are the people for whom Jesus has done amazing things. Thank you for that. Father, we do thank you. And we pray now, Lord, that as you prepare our hearts for communion, I pray, God, that you'd move among us in particular So that this would be a morning of salvation for some, a morning of rededication for some others. Do it in our midst, Lord. And Father, I just want to stand before this blessed congregation and thank you for seeing through these wonderful studies in the Gospel of John. Thank you for feeding our soul. Now fill us with your spirit and bring, Lord, those among us who need to surrender their life to you or to rededicate their life to you, bring them to that place as we prepare our hearts to come to your table of communion. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.